are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Thursday show for you. We've got a lot to talk about. Major League Baseball playoffs. Boy, that was quick. All four wildcard series over. Four two-game sweeps, two favorites, two underdogs, two home teams, two road teams. Interesting. Also, we're going to talk about NFL trends and gambling. The San Francisco-Dallas game on Sunday Night Football this week, probably the best game of the weekend, but what does it really mean? Also, more in Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays' attendance was pathetic, and I've got a really big question regarding Aaron Rodgers and what the hell he's doing to rehab his torn Achilles. I'm so confused. We'll get to all that momentarily. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's start off in the NFL, and I want to go over the gambling trends that I have not covered yet in the NFL for last week, and it was another week of basically favorites and the under. So in terms of favorites versus underdogs, I have the over-unders written out, but for favorites, we had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ten favorites covered, five underdogs covered, and there was one push. That was the Denver-Chicago game. We had only six overs and ten unders, so ten favorites and ten unders. In terms of teasers, once again, ten-point teasers, 24 of the 32 teams would have covered a ten-point teaser. And once again, the underdog streak in the NFL continues. There weren't many that covered. Only five underdogs covered this week in the NFL because we had that one push. But three of the five ended up winning outright. So that means 28 underdogs have covered in 48 NFL games this year. And 22 of those 28 underdogs won the game outright. So 48 games in the NFL, six times the spread has mattered. That's a very, very large percentage. So once again, when you are looking to bet NFL games, just pick the winner and you're probably going to cover the spread, whether it's a dog winning outright or favorite covering. Now, I do think it is a little skewed at the beginning of the season because we're still establishing who are the best teams and who are the real shit teams. So you're going to start seeing bigger spreads. This past week in the NFL, there was only one game, two games with a spread over seven points, and that was Philadelphia over nine-point favorites over Washington, and that was one of the ones where the dog covered the game but didn't win outright. And San Francisco was a 14.5-point favorite against Arizona, and they covered. But everything else, actually Kansas City was the third, and that was the other one. They won 23-20. Underdog covered, didn't win outright. But the other three dogs that won this week in the NFL all won outright. Houston has a three-point dog at home against Pittsburgh, won outright. Tampa has a four-point dog in New Orleans, won outright. And Tennessee has a two-and-a-half-point home dog against Cincinnati, won outright. But every other game, favorite covered. So 
it's something to look forward to because I think we're going to start getting bigger spreads as we go forward because there are a lot of games now and a lot of teams that have kind of established themselves as, okay, they're really good. Detroit is a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite this week against Carolina. Miami, 11-and-a-half-point home favorites against the Giants this week. Um, that is the Those are the biggest lines that I can remember. So there's only two, I believe, that are over seven. Buffalo, I think, is five and a half, but that game's in London. So I don't really think I'm touching that one. I just I think that there's I think that there's some real I I know I said last week I'm really liking the card. I really like the NFL card this week. It's gonna be really tough to kind of narrow it down because there's like eight games that I like in the NFL this week. And one thing I do want to remind you of when it comes to the NFL, I know I've said it, but I want to kind of ingrain it in your head. I say that the NFL is a week-to-week game, and it is, but you almost have to forget what happened the week before because basically when you look at the lines on any given Sunday, most people are just looking at what happened to the team last game. Oh, my gosh. The New York Giants lost 24-3 to at home on Monday night football in front of everybody, and now they got to go on the road and play Miami, and they're getting 11.5 points. Now, I think Miami's different because Miami in that game is also coming off an embarrassing loss. So I would have tended to lean more towards the Giants in that game if Miami was coming off a blowout win because it's very easy to get complacent. So not anymore. I'm either either I'm taking Miami in that game or I'm not touching it. But just looking at some of these other ones, you know, there were some really bad losses. Obviously, Cleveland, they don't play this week, but they're, you know, they're coming off a 28-3 loss. Giants, you know, 24-3 loss. New England, another good example. Lost 38-3 on the road to Dallas. And they're going home as a one-point favorite against New Orleans, who also had a horrible loss, losing 26-9 at home to Tampa Bay. So that's what I mean. It's just like you've got to understand that coming off bad games especially when you have a team coming off a great win versus a team coming off a bad loss most of the public is going to look at the team that's like wow look at how good they looked last week they beat so and so and this team lost to so and so i'm betting the team that was having off coming off a good week you almost have to go opposite of that not every time it's nothing's 100% in the nfl but more often than not on any given week, if you have that big of a discrepancy of two teams playing on a Sunday and one of them looked bad last week and the other one looked really good and you really want to bet that team that looked really good, the odds are go the other way and bet on the team that looked bad the week before, especially if they're coming home and especially if the team that looked good last week was also at home and now they're coming on the road. It's just something to keep in mind. Off the top of my head this week, one of the games that immediately jumps out is the Houston at Atlanta game. Houston coming off a thrashing of the Pittsburgh Steelers in Houston, playing the Atlanta Falcons, who looked terrible playing in London. Felt like they could have played Jacksonville 10 times and would have lost all 10 times, losing 23-7 in London, whereas Houston beats Pittsburgh 30-6 to at home, and you're like, oh my gosh, Houston looking really good. Now they're going on the road to play at Atlanta and I would think most of the public is going to be on Houston. Atlanta is a two-point favorite at home 
against Houston. And that line is strictly because of what happened last week to both teams. Before last week's games were played, I guarantee that line is probably Atlanta minus four, maybe four and a half. But because Houston had a 24-point home win and Atlanta loses by 16 on the road, you have line value there. So now you're getting Atlanta under a field goal at home against Houston. Something to look into. Will it be one of my plays? I don't know. I'm leaning more towards yes. Baltimore and Pittsburgh, another example. Baltimore looked great on the road against Cleveland. Pittsburgh looked god-awful on the road against Houston. Now Pittsburgh is coming home, and they are a four-point underdog at home to the Baltimore Ravens in a series dominated by the underdog. I will have these stats for you on Friday. I can tell you right now the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be one of my plays. I don't know if it's going to be the underdog play of the week. I don't know if it's going to be my best bet. I don't know where to put it, but I'm sorry. After looking bad last week and coming home and playing a division game as an underdog, we know that there are two coaches in the NFL that are great in underdog roles, Mike Tomlin and Mike Vrabel. So keep that in mind. And not only is Tomlin a home dog yet again, he's been a home dog twice already this year, got killed by San Francisco, beat Cleveland, and now they're home again, a division home dog against a Baltimore team that is very, very banged up and a Baltimore team that, yes, did win 28-3 last week in Cleveland, but they also beat a Cleveland team that was playing a rookie quarterback making his first start ever. So keep that in mind, but I'm telling you, Pittsburgh's going to be a play. Jets-Denver, not necessarily because the Jets played well against Kansas City. Denver win in Cleveland. Uh, Denver won in Chicago last week. But those are the two games that stick out to me, Houston-Atlanta and Baltimore-Pittsburgh. But I want to talk about the Dallas and San Francisco game real quick uh, for Sunday Night Football in a second. Best game of the week, easily, Dallas Cowboys at San Francisco 49ers. Sunday Night Football, 49ers are 4-0. Dallas Cowboys 3-1. They're lost, bad loss to Arizona in Arizona. But this is also a rematch of the last two playoff games the Cowboys have lost at home to San Francisco two years ago. Last year they lost in San Francisco And the whole talk is this is a litmus test. If Dallas loses again to San Francisco, is this going to be in their heads that, my gosh, we cannot beat this team because it's now three years in a row and we can't beat them and blah, 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 blah. And look, I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan. Yes, I live here, but I'm indifferent. I don't care if they win or lose. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not a San Francisco 49er fan. Indifferent. Don't care if they win or lose. But I think the narrative surrounding this game on Sunday night is getting a little out of hand only because if the Cowboys lose on Sunday to the Niners, right now the Niners are a three-point favorite against them. If the Cowboys lose, I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, if they meet again in the playoffs, we can just expect the same result. Because we won't know. <laughs> because it's a different team in January than you are in the first week of October. So you got to keep that in mind. We also have to see if the Niners beat the Cowboys this weekend, by how many? Is it a bad loss? Is it a close game? If it's a close game, you can just look at it as like, hey, it's a close NFL game, good game. If they played 10 times, one team might win six and the other one four. 
But I just don't think I, there's so much being put into it. You li- listen to the talking head shows, and it's like, oh my gosh, if Dallas can't beat them, they are screwed come the playoffs. They have to avoid them because they can never beat them. That's not necessarily true. In fact, it isn't true. It doesn't mean if they lose to them again this Sunday, they can't beat them in the playoffs. Because let's face it, both of these teams are probably making the playoffs. And if they meet up again, Dallas technically has triple revenge on their mind because they'd have lost three in a row to San Francisco. They'd have to play a better game. They'd obviously have to look at that film. San Francisco looks at that film. There's just so many variables to just blanketly say, oh, okay, well, if the Cowboys lose this Sunday, that means they can't beat them in the playoffs. No, it doesn't. It just means that this past Sunday, the Cowboys lost. (laughs) It doesn't mean you can't beat them because I'm sure, I don't know, go back to what, the 2004 World Series? when the Yankees had owned the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Red Sox hadn't won a World Series in 80 or 90 years, whatever it was, and the Boston Red Sox were down three games to none to the New York Yankees, do you think anybody outside of the Boston area was saying, oh, yeah, no, the Red Sox got them right where they want them? No. The consensus and the overall opinion of anybody talking back then was the Yankees own the Red Sox. There's no way the Yankees are blowing this. It It wasn't even a thought in anybody's head that the Yankees, I would think most Boston Red Sox fans were like, oh, another year, the curse lives on, we can't get by the Yankees, we're down 3-0, we're screwed. That's what I mean. It just, things can happen. So it's still very early. And hell, even if the even if the Cowboys win this weekend and upset the Niners in San Francisco this weekend, and these two teams happen to meet in the playoffs this year, it doesn't mean Dallas is going to win again. Yeah, it's just every game is just there's so many different variables for every single game. It's the first week of October. It has nothing to do with a playoff game with way more intensity come later on in the season. So just let's all keep that in mind as we head into Sunday's game with the best matchup of the day happening on Sunday night with this Niner Cowboy game. Major League Baseball. Wow. (laughs) I mean, it's a two game it's a three game series. So it's not surprising that we had at least, you know, a couple sweeps. But to sh- not only did we have four sweeps, two home teams won, Minnesota and Philly, two road teams won, Arizona and the Rangers. But none of the games were close. I think the closest game, I don't think we had a one-run game, did we? Let me check the scoreboard from yesterday. I don't think any of them were run-run games. No. On Tuesday, Rangers 4-0, Twins 3-1, Arizona 6-3, Philly 4-1. Yesterday, Rangers 7-1, Minnesota 2-0, Arizona 5-2, Philly 7-1. So not only were there four sweeps, every single game was run won by two runs or more. Not saying the games weren't exciting. The Minnesota game was pretty exciting, and you got to cheer for the Minnesota fans. Congratulations. You had 18 straight playoff losses. You hadn't won a playoff series since 2001. Or, sorry, excuse me, 2002. 21 years since the Twins won a series. And then they beat Toronto, uh, you know, 2 nothing. So I think that's a, you know, a huge thing for the Twins. They move on, and the Twins are going to play the Astros. The Rangers are going to go to Baltimore and play the Orioles in the National League. Arizona plays their NL West rivals, the L.A. Dodgers, and Philly plays the Braves, which is going to be a great series, Philly's Braves. Can't wait for that one. Philly's Braves played last year 
in the LDS, and Philly beat them. So Braves have some serious revenge on their minds. The Dodgers don't have any revenge against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but certainly that's the team that I would think they would have rather have played in the LDS, and they just need to get to a World Series and, and, and win another one because, gosh, if they lose again, especially in the LDS, the questions are going to arise. Like, what do you do if you're this team? Because you put out a great product every single year. You've won the NL West 10 of the last 11 years. The one year you didn't win it, you won 106 games, and yet you have one World Series to show for it. And even that one was technically a little bit tainted. People will look at it differently because it was during COVID, and it was during a 60-game regular season. Granted, the playoffs were full playoffs, and all the other teams had all their players and whatnot, but it's just you, you definitely have a little bit of an asterisk next to it. Because you've been so dominant for the last 11 years. Like, can we win a World Series with one of these teams that is dominant during the regular season? They had the second best record in the National League, and they did it this year not having great pitching. The Dodgers have always been built around their pitching, but they've had so many injuries this year. Tony Gosselin out. uh, Dustin May out. Clayton Kershaw missed a couple months. Walker Buehler never came back. Like, I don't even know where the hell their pitching staff... They've done it with smoke and mirrors, and yet basically their lineup is what's carrying them this year. When you got a top five of the lineup of Betts, Freeman, Muncie, Will Smith, and J.D. Martinez, that's essentially what's carried them all season. The last four in their lineup have been pretty piss poor most of the year. No consistency whatsoever. They don't really have a closer. They don't really have a dominant starter. You just wonder, how the hell did this team win 100 games? But they did, yet again. But will this manifest itself and they will be exposed in the playoffs? Look, the Dodgers, this is, I would easily say, this is the worst Dodger team in the last 11 years. Even though they won 100 games, this is the worst one of the last 11 years in terms of consistency and what you're getting from your pitching staff and your bullpen, all this stuff. But yet, this is probably going to be the team that, you know, ends up winning it because it's just like, really? These last 10 years you made the playoffs with these great teams and you couldn't go anywhere and now you finally win it with this ragtag group of misfits after all these pitching injuries you've had I mean it's very possible but it's also possible that the Arizona Diamondbacks beat them in the LDS because the Arizona Diamondbacks have two really good starters Merrill and Gallen are probably the two best starters in the series so if you have to face each of them twice That could spell trouble for the Dodgers. But as we know, five-game series, anything can happen. I can't wait till it gets going. And finally, this Aaron Rodgers Achilles injury is totally baffling me. As you know, I tore my Achilles last August. This is a full 9- to 12-month recovery. I was not able, and I wouldn't even say my Achilles will ever be back to 100%. But I can plant, jump, run now on it. I've never, I haven't done a full sprint, like 40-yard sprint or anything like that, but I can run. But this was something that, you know, the doctors laid out for me and exactly how they laid it out for me right after surgery is exactly how it played out. Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee radio show like he does every week, and he said, there's nothing normal about how I'm attacking this rehab. The common practice is about six weeks in a boot, And I was in a shoe in 13 days. I said this on Monday night to somebody 
as I was watching the Monday night game because Aaron Rodgers was there. He was on crutches. But here's the thing. When I saw him on Monday night, he had surgery, what, like a month ago? He got hurt in the first or second preseason game. It was mid-August, and here we are, end of September. So it was about a month, maybe five weeks ago. Uh, and he was standing on the sidelines on crutches, but he was had both of his feet on the ground. And I'm like, wait a second. I had surgery in August. I could not touch my foot, even though it was in a boot. My foot could never just plant on the ground. I could just not stand in one place. If I was on crutches, that boot on my foot was off the ground. If I was on my scooter, that foot was off the ground. It couldn't touch the ground. I couldn't put any pressure on it. This guy was in a this guy was in a shoe in 13 days? I, I Look, I know he's kind of off the beaten path with his ayahuasca stuff and he doesn't really believe in medicine and the power of prayer and all that. He, he even said it in the interview. He said, this is just my mindset. I believe in the power of intention. I believe in prayer. I believe in your mental status and power of will. I believe in making room for the miraculous to happen. I'm sorry, that's all fine and dandy. But when you tear your Achilles, prayer doesn't make it heal faster. It just doesn't. In the history of sports, as this injury has come down and I've seen people talking about this, the quickest anybody has ever come back is six months. I think Travis Akers might have done it in five or five and a half. So I guess maybe there's a, de- a degree of his tear, but I thought it was a full tear from what I read. And I understand he is a world-class athlete. I'm not. So he's going to get around-the-clock treatment on this, and he's going to get the best doctors. And, hey, my doctor was great. Everything he told me ended up being true. But even around-the-clock work on this, you know, when I started physical therapy, I got got my surgery on August 10th. So rest of August, all of September, all of October. November 1st is when I started physical therapy. So almost three months from the day of my surgery, I started physical therapy. And when I put my foot on the ground and I had to start moving it around, my range of motion was nowhere. Like, that's what they're measuring, your range of motion. And then by the end of physical therapy, at the end of December of last year, you should have seen how much my range of motion in my foot improved. But I don't understand how this guy's in a shoe 13 days after surgery. Or he was out of a boot 13 days. In 13 days, he was out of his boot and in a shoe. I'm thinking back to last August. There is no chance. I couldn't even stand up in the shower. I had a shower chair. I'm so confused by this. It's pissing me off, actually. And not pissing me off is like, oh, my doctor screwed me and I could have been back earlier. No, nothing like that. I'm just not understanding this. Doctors can do, you know, the greatest surgery ever, like, my surgery was very simple. It was very easy. It's one that my doctor had done. He told me at least a hundred times before. It's a very, he knew exactly what he needed to do. It was very simple in and out surgery took, I think 90 minutes. And I just, I'm sitting here reading Aaron Rodgers saying this stuff. I'm like, great. You can believe in miraculous things and you can believe in the power of prayer or whatever. But if I believed in prayer and I sat home all day and prayed for six hours a day, it wasn't going to make my Achilles heal faster. It's just an injury to where you cannot start putting pressure on it for a long time. I don't understand it. I'm so baffled by this. I almost want to send the story to my doctor and be like, how is this happening with him? (laughs) What is happening here? 
I guess, I, I, you know, look, when I went in for physical therapy, it was one hour a day, three days a week. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is doing stuff maybe four, five, six hours a day, five days a week because he can. I, I still don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yes, you, the more exercises you do, the stronger it can, the quicker it can get stronger. There is no way this guy's playing NFL football in the 2023-2024 season. No fucking chance. If he does, I will. I don't know what I'll do, but I'll do something. <laughs> Give me some time to think about what I'll do if Aaron Rodgers comes back by game 17 this year. I just, I, there's no way. That's just me being a non-doctor but having the same injury as him and just knowing what I went through. I know I'm not a pro athlete. I know I don't have access to all the best doctors in the world waiting on me hand and foot, but I just I know how my Achilles felt. I know how my leg felt for three months in that boot. I could not step. I could not put any pressure on it for three months. And this guy was in a shoe in two weeks? Don't get it. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Tell your friends about it. Tomorrow, big day. We've got your picks coming for you in college and pro. Daily Roundup has been posted on my other feed. Also, podcast number 359, my weekly podcast, is up in about an hour from now if you're interested in checking that out. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.